Good morning, people of planet Earth. It is 6.41 in the morning. We have a very late start. I already lost two hours. I didn't lose them. And you could say I'm cheating on my listeners, but I'm not. This is the Stream of Random podcast. And, well, we're not live. I do try and make something every day for my dedicated listeners. I think... um, We have two listeners that listen every day. And it's funny because... um, Well... It's funny because uh, we... uh, Damn it, I'm thinking. Well, we had a guest podcast on from Scotty. And I hope you enjoyed that. And that got, I think, 10 listens so far. So that's doing, he's doing pretty good, Scotty. And um, I'm hoping to automate that process and set him up with his, own, um, with his own RSS feed where he can just post stuff into a Telegram group and it'll get picked up and turned into a podcast. So I've talked about that before a couple of times. Good morning, and uh, it's an amazing sunrise, it's 65 degrees, so we're up 20 degrees. I don't even really need my jacket today. Um, yeah, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to continue on this theory of the um, insider um, the insider threat, <clears throat> and I mapped out exactly all the little moving pieces and some definitions. So basically, we have um, you know two camps. Let's say, make it easy, and we have one camp that wants to quiet or suppress the other camp. So let's just say the Democrats are trying to censor the Republicans, okay? Now, the um, the Republicans have, well, I would say all of them, both sides of them have, uh, let's say, marginal and it's loud here. Now, both sides do have people saying things that might not be uh, appropriate. And, um, be considered to be bad. Like even the clips that I clipped of Maria Averbeck calling for a violent revolution, I mean, that's something that uh, could be uh, considered to be bad. But does she have to be censored? So, I don't think she should be censored because it's also good entertainment. And it's good to understand how people think. Um, so, but that, that's not the point of this, at this point, what I'm trying to say is that, okay, so we could take a, a, a moderate view and say the, these companies in goodwill are trying to address concerns from people that are voicing their concerns, right? And we could say that there are their vocal community that have um, just found their voice. You know, they found 
advertising um, on that was inappropriate. They found um, videos that were inappropriate on YouTube, and um, rightfully called the advertisers to task and said, do you want your video being next to hate speech? So, I mean, obviously the advertiser does not want their video being next to hate speech or something that's offensive. So, and maybe we could just view this all as a, uh, an algorithm is trying to find its, find the right um, settings as to what is hate speech and what is not. But it really turns into um, it's a very difficult question to answer. Right? It's a very difficult question to answer. And, um, in the end, people with very loud voices, loud protest, will set the stage for um, all types of uh, speech to be attacked. And the algorithms might just pick up stuff accidentally. So they could say, well, we're trying to implement the community guidelines. And, um, sometimes, um, there's false positives. You know, people get flagged wrongly. And we all address that. For example, I mean, no, I'm not even going to my example, but but the time that it will take for those to get processed is also a long time because then we're invoking the millennials, the uh, Austinites, um, to come and arbitrate. So if we take the view that everything is up and up and there is no bias at all, then you know, you've got a vocal majority that's pushing hard on flagging videos, creating a backlog. And that backlog increases the longer time of the courts, let's call them courts, to decide on what is right and wrong. And then, um, that's just going to create more and more uh, people have to look at it. So eventually, um, they're going to implement those things as algorithms and have more and more training data. But I question also the quality of that because you really need a deep understanding to really get at the meaning of things. So, um, it's not easy to really make a nuanced decision. So let's just say the technology, until it becomes super powerful, is always going to have large areas of gray areas where it's going to make bad decisions. Now, um, when we get into these questions of, <clears throat> you know, questioning the election or questioning COVID or things like that, YouTube has really cracked down and applied a very broad, I mean, all of the platforms have really cracked down and applied a very broad brush 
of um, limiting speech and censorship. Um, where you can't basically say anything except, see this is what's happening, is that you only a certain narrative is even allowed and everything else is just uh, being suppressed. So it's not really a partisanship in terms of a party, it's more like a narrative, like it's actually eliminating free speech completely. Um, <clears throat> because the only speech that's allowed is the official speech. So the uh, dialectic is really like official versus not official, not right versus left, or establishment versus anti-establishment. And um, they can ground those in community guidelines saying that people are questioning the mask mandate and causing people harm. Um, now for the election, it's much more difficult. It's really a form of um, legislation and there's really clear laws that govern this whole issue. And um, it seems that the tech companies are really overstepping themselves. And um, it's a very dangerous uh, thing. Now we can analyze this a little bit, you know. But also, uh, Wikipedia has been doing this for years, and saying only only um, New York Times is allowed. I haven't actually looked at the Wikipedia stuff in the election, but I'm hoping that they're not going to be. I'm hoping that they're going to give a fair. Uh, viewpoint. They only allow major media, and if major media has decided um, to call the president president elect, even if the votes have not been certified, um, then that becomes the official narrative or the majority narrative even if it's not necessarily true. So that's where we get into this interesting um, point. That's where we get into this interesting point. which is, um, you know, what is official, what is not official, what is um, allowed and what is not. And I, I do think that they're overstepping themselves with this. So when we get back to the... Um, but again, the Democrats were going to say, well, it's not directed at a political party. And this is where we're going to get into this is where we're going to get into it. Is it directed or not directed? Is it biased or not biased? So if we take um bias to establishment or non-establishment. I think that's where the bias really is. A populist versus non-populist or establishment versus non-establishment. Um, but I, I really think uh, that in this case the um, media is biased towards the Democrats. They have been in the polls. We have examples of them. And if the tech companies are just supporting what the media says, then they are also implicitly biased. Um, but they have an excuse because their input 
their input or, or their direction, the signal giver is biased. So the, the tech companies are getting their signal input from the establishment media saying this is what the facts are. Um, and they could just say, well, we're just implementing that. Just like before, where we, they said, well, you know, majority of the people complaining are saying this, and we're just implementing the complaints from the community. Um, our advertisers are complaining, and we're implementing our advertisers' complaints. So they could just be responding to the given inputs Good morning. So that just leaves them a nice fine way to get out of it. And I think that's kind of where my argument's going is that It's very hard to decide, you know, what is relevant, what is not for Wikipedia. And it might be very hard to decide what is true or not for the, um, the Googles and the Facebooks. So if they just t tie themselves onto existing establishment media, and if that existing establishment media um, makes a decision, or is biased, then the tech companies are going to carry that bias forward. If a majority of the vocal users and complainers are biased, then um, the tech companies will be biased as well. And we haven't even considered the insider threat at all yet. We're just talking about on the external side. So the tech company is really trying to um, just deal with output input from the outside. And uh, I think that they're in an unfortunate situation of having to determine hate speech automatically, which I think should be really from a judicial point of view it um, that's like saying uh, adjudicating from the algo so and, and in these um, proceedings in the Senate hearings you're going to hear some senator pushing the companies for more algos to block certain kind of speeches or flag it and they were saying how the Chinese are so bad, but the Americans are also pushing the um, the companies to do this. They're literally saying, well, you have all this money, you have all this tech, you do it. Right? Instead of saying, it's our job as the judicial committee to come up with these rules let us do it right I mean in the end if there's an algorithm that will decide whether something is legal or not legal why would that be in the hands of the Google why wouldn't that be coming from the judicial committee why are they just washing their hands of it and saying well it's your problem you deal with it right and I think this is where we're going or the algorithm will decide justice. And right now we're seeing it swing left and maybe it will swing right. Or maybe it swung right in 2016 and that's what they're trying to over adjust for. Um, and maybe the algorithms just need more time. But I think they're flawed from the beginning to try and judge a complex topic with a simple tool and it's too nuanced 
for them to um, even handle. So, that's thinking I need to actually make a case uh, to Google about my account and just write them a long letter. Or I'll write to my representative, I'll write to Tom, Ted Cruz and say, look, you should take up my case because my account has been blocked. All right. So, and maybe we need to um, make a way to raise our voices better and to write letters to our representatives and senators on this topic to raise awareness um, for violations of free speech because under section 230 it clearly states the intent of Congress is to make these companies not liable for bad things that happen as long as it's a free and open internet so we shouldn't be worried about a free and open internet we shouldn't be worried about our free speech we should be worried more about section 230 we should be making 230 claims um, and raise them in that context and maybe we need some tools for doing that to create a database So I think that might be a good, a good thing that could be born out of this uh, episode. Makes sense to me. It's like find my senator, find my rep representative, make my case, document the evidence, get witnesses, um, uh, and avoid fraud. Uh, make them. I'm, I think the best way to avoid fraud really is to make people pay a small amount um, for processing fees and we could hire lawyers to look at these cases and help move them forward even if but I do think that it really should be on the um, the algorithm should be on the side of the uh, the Justice Department, how come they don't, can't have an algo? Why does it all have to be people? And if they don't have it, maybe we have to build it. So maybe we need to build an algorithm to help make these decisions. And then we make it public and open source. And people can check. Yeah, it sounds like a good project. And it would involve people as well. Not the computer making every decision, but people making decisions in part of a process. Because I think that's what's happening with Google as well. It's not just the algorithm deciding, it's people. The algorithm just starts to make a decision and then people a support or not that decision, but there's no transparency. So we could have transparency in this case and support transparency. Put it on a blockchain and you have to buy some coins, some justice coins to uh, support the process and to avoid spam and vote with justice coins as well to um, yeah this could be very interesting the justice coin the justice league so um, justice league I think is DC now I wonder if the Marvel universe could include the DC universe as part of it 
and if there's a um, a way someone has actually made a multi verse in terms of the story that would include both of them that might be some interesting uh, theoretical maneuvering there or if their universes are incompatible okay so next step now if we assume now ill will um, if we assume ill will on the side of certain individuals inside of the company let's say key reviewers key programmers key QA people working in collusion or in conspiracy um, we might be able to see that um, and they're working with people on the public who are flagging these videos um, and maybe they'll create features or introduce glitches accidentally that have to be fixed but just slow things down a little bit so it's like all you need to do is slow down the one party a little bit more than the other party in resolution of cases and it might just be a bias function of um, you know workers not wanting to pick up a case it might be a bias of a worker who's left-leaning not wanting to work on a right-leaning case and um, maybe we need to view these votes as election and say we need to have a un we need to have a bipartisan review board of cases and uh, make sure that these decisions are done in a bipartisan way you know to guarantee some kind of um, balance or tripartisan maybe we have to have the libertarians come in and the greens and any other party and where does it stop well I think um, resources is one good way to uh, to decide that they have to be able to bring people and those people have to be vetted okay so you have some kind of power structure you have some kind of political structure and enough people to represent a group um, that comes to the table or could any group come and it just depends on their ranking or funding um, let the market decide So we're going to have to work that out. And they also have to be able to view all the cases and decide on all the cases in a timely manner. So the slowest link in the chain will determine the speed of the entire system. So they have to actually have the staff to work on all the cases in a fair way. All right. And these could be like blockchain devices doing machine learning or whatever. Decision-making engines deployed decentrally on the chain, mining the cases. Now, all of these cases we're talking about are cases that users submit. Allegations of fraud, uh, allegations of bias, for example. And um, we'll have plugins for all the different apps 
and all the different websites that collect these cases and track them to get justice. Um, yeah, it could be quite exciting. I think it's a real good niche. And the goal is, as I said, to create a fair and balanced review board for um, documenting alleged cases of censorship and bias on the internet and to bring some kind of balance back. Because the one-sided nature that we see is that you have no information insight into the decision-making process. You know, no do, like my podcast that Apple has been denied. Um, multiple times. And now it's just in, in some queue. Um, so these gatekeepers or censors or moderators or even, let's just call them evaluators, right? Like, are they valuing something as good or, or bad? You know, oh, this is a high-quality podcast, this is a crappy podcast. This is good audio, this is bad audio. Right, he's got a good mic or bad mic. These value judgments, right? Is that not editorial? Is that not a violation of Section 230? Right? Do they have to... Or is it? I mean, what are the rights of the platform to deny marginal content? Or what they see is, or decide on poor content. You know? And when are they allowed to downgrade? Like, why do they have to even host? Right? What are the rules? And this is kind of getting into the, tr the whole thing where you say, if you pay for something and they take you as a customer, right that's it that's the transaction if you don't pay for it and you are the product and um, you're being paid they're selling you to the listener right you're being marketed to the listener or the advertiser well that gets into a much more tricky um, situation right it's not like you have a web hosting where you pay a certain amount of money for that host. No, you're paying, the advertiser's paying for it in clicks. And your content is what's being delivered to the user to display the ads next to. So the advertisers involved, the users involved, the hosting companies involved for this click-based um, or advertising-based funding. And how does Section 230 even account for that? Right? Is it not up to the hosting company to make deals as they wish? Do they really need to host all content? Right? Or can they make the contracts as they want and the users can agree to them as they want and they can choose to implement all types of free speech um, censorship? Right? Because it doesn't make the money. So a profit motive is. Um, profit motive is um, is theirs to be made. I mean, they have a right to try and make a profit and get rid of non-profitable assets.
Morning. So this gets into some tricky situation, and I don't think um, I don't even think that these uh, that these legislations are up to date on this topic. I think that they're missing some key aspects, and we're gonna have to read all of this. We've got a mountain, a literal shit ton of um, things to uh, to look at on this topic. But we're just going with some basic, we're going with some basic theories here, some basic ideas, and then we're going to introduce them slowly. We're gonna do this step by step and slowly introduce more and more information and build up our model as we go. Yeah, so I'm not gonna make it to the bunker today because I'm late. But I'm gonna spend some time with my family, which is more important. And I'm gonna turn around and start heading back. So this is part two, the walk back. Yeah, the sun is up, but it's blocked by a mountain. And there's a ridge of cliffs along the side of the mountain. And it really makes you think that there was something, like a glacier that came through and cut the side of that mountain and cut that cliff. Um, just broke the rocks right off. And it could have just been the river being much higher than it was. But it would have to have been a massive river. I mean, massive. To get up that high. So probably ice. Or maybe the river has been cutting down through the ground. It used to be much higher. And the river has just been cutting down for millions of years. Cutting through the earth. First it was up there wasn't much higher than it is now in terms of water depth, but it's been cut down in terms of erosion. That's also possible, bringing the earth down to the ocean, into the bay. So. Yeah, I have to think about all types of stuff right now. <sighs> so what we're going to do... So what I was thinking is in terms of a model that we're trying to envision that a party is trying to swing the users from one thing to another by suppressing the um, messages of one type, they want to boost the messages of another type and swing users from one party to another. So that's like the malicious model which we're going to go over now. So you have a party A and B, red and blue, and the blue is trying to push the users to view more blue messages. Now, if they can get the blue messages to be considered mainstream, like, okay, this person is the president-elect, or did win the election, let's say, then they can suppress all non-mainstream 
messages as being conspiracy theory or fact check false. Um, and then they're supported by external biased systems where we get into these Snopes and all that, um, or studies that support one side or the other, or think tanks. Um, <clears throat> Good morning. So it really becomes the question of what is true, what is not true. Um, and ultimately, um, that's decided by legislation, and legislation is decided by election, and the election is decided by votes, and then the votes are um, influenced by the media and by blocking messages that are critical, even of, let's just say they're critical of big tech. I mean, let's just say, or messages that are critical of the mainstream narrative. Um, so that could also influence the election, and then when the election is influenced, it could change the legislation. When the legislation is changed, that could give more power to the big tech companies. And we see that they're definitely partisan in voting or supporting different candidates in terms of money. And we'll get to that later. I haven't had hands free yet to, uh, to do that. Plus, I wanted to get this off my chest. So, <clears throat> now we've established We've established the um, I mean what about a bias for power like excluding um, competition right and all of these things it's very difficult and it's very difficult to uh, really put um, these decisions in the hands of companies when they're so critical. But people go to them, and uh, it's really the question of people voting with their feet. If they choose to go to this platform, but those platforms suppress other platforms, and they dominate. So, I'm not going to be saying we need to break up these uh, overpowerful corporations. Um, but that's what was being threatened, I think, in terms of Microsoft or IBM or AT&T being broken up as a monopoly. And uh, maybe Google will have to be broken up and work and the advertising company will have to be separate I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to even go there in this podcast. That's going to be such a huge topic. I can't even touch it right now. We're just trying to kind of lay out some ground foundational ideas here. Sorry for the wind. It's a wind. I hope it's not destroying this uh, podcast. I'll try and talk louder. Yeah, I switched back to my old headset because I thought that the a new microphone sounded kind of tinny. I, I'm looking forward to my feedback from my listeners. <clears throat> Do you think uh, it sounds tinny or bad? How's the audio? Can you hear me all right? All right. Let's pray to the gods of podcasting. So... We have an idea here that we have someone trying to sway the election. They're trying to block the voices. I mean, just look at the Joe Biden stuff, right? That's also being blocked. 
So if it's not mainstream information, it's being blocked. Okay. The laptop, the Hunter Biden laptop from hell. Okay. But if people subscribe to a certain ideology, they'll know where to go get that information as well, I suppose. And people can just choose to uh, play their games on Facebook. And that doesn't mean they're going to read any of the stuff that they see. Right? So they could just be disinterested people. Okay. So what's next? So we could argue that people are going to just be able to choose what they want to view. Um, but I think what the Republicans were saying is that it, they control 90% of the Google controls 90% of the search and it guides and moves people so that you really need to um, you really need to uh, deal with them right So, and they're saying, well, in that case, the Section 230 uh, clauses that protect them against libel are meant to have a free and open speech. They definitely said that. And then Google's saying, well, it's not relevant, right? They're using things like relevant to the users or relevant to the uh, advertisers or whatever and the algorithms deciding that I'm kind of repeating myself here so so really the question is going to be become you know okay we have this business model and does this business model even support free speech Right? And marginal content. And like, who is the arbiter of that? Is it just the people clicking on it? Or is it the advertisers? And do the advertisers sway? Does the money sway the, um, and bias? Okay, so let's just address that real quick, or long. So you have a search result, and they try and find relevant pages for that search result, and then relevant ads for that search. So it's a three-way match, right? You have the user, you have the content provider, and you have the advertiser. And ideally, Google will match those all up together. And... Um, Google is also blocking ads and blocking content and blocking users for violations of their standards. And they are ranking, I guess they're ranking users as well, aren't they? I never thought about that, but what is your Google rank? Like we always talked about um, your page rank, but what is your personal what is your personal Google ranking? What's your Google social score? And, um, you know, how valuable are you to them? How much money have you made them? Let's start with that. Right? How much have you cost them? 
and how much money have you made them? And if you're not making them any money and you're just costing them a lot of money, why wouldn't they just slow you down? Like if we're talking about a profit-driven motive here, I'm going to allege that users that are leeches that block all the ads and just incur costs for Google, maybe eventually they will get downgraded in terms of a score. And it could be completely rational and unbiased in some ways. That's something to think about, huh? So we have two topics today. We said we could create a panel for a review of internet bias and censorship using some kind of blockchain technology. And so it's going to be called the uh, Internet Omsbudman blockchain, the IBB. See? And then we have the Google user score and user social score. So the uh, Google's social score, the GSC, the Google social score, meaning what is your rank in Google? Not the page rank, but what is your Google rank, your user rank? So, oh, I gotta bring those water bottles back. Oh my god, they were so horrible. I bought water bottles and they were, the water tasted so bad. It was like out in the sun for months. I can't believe they sold that. Can't believe they sold that to me. All right, now. So we got our... Um, we have our users we're trying to um, influence and we're trying to block messages well we're not see this is where we get into the um, the socialist let's call them or the censors uh, or trying to block unwanted messages somehow and um, establishment and we already saw that they can just influence the signal givers um, they can influence the signal givers the bias givers the establishment media for example Associated Press well the Associated Press has always called the election and as part of the establishment. And I think Trump is just very anti-establishment in terms of not doing or unconventional. the algorithms are always going to be biased against bias towards the conventional and the establishment that's just how they're trained just like my dogs would bark at something at someone in a wheelchair they've never seen before it's just how they're trained just how their brains work it's not like they're against people who are disabled okay we're getting a call see if this is still recording. It says it's recording. All right. All right. 
Okay, guys. So, I'm getting lost in all these details, but we're just going to say that, um, let's say we have a large disinterested or low information public, okay? Um, and we just want to prevent, well, not we, but the one party or both parties are just trying to market messages to them, okay? Like clickbait or um, simple messages, spicy messages, flashy messages, something to, you know, something easy for people to grasp onto. We're not talking about people who are going to do deep research and have deep opinions on anything. We're just going to say broad disinterested public, okay? So we have a broad disinterested public. We have par two parties trying to pitch messages at them. And then we have a, um, a tech company in the middle, which is biased in terms of its employees on the one side. And you could say, well, they're biased towards education and they're biased towards facts and science and all that. You could say that. But um, let's just say, let's now pr propose or assume a malicious insider group, right? Inside of these tech companies who are working with or for the operatives in the party outside, building features and tweaking things. And we could say, well, hey, maybe um, these companies aren't allowed to update their software or change their data feeds during the election. I mean, maybe we have to separate the operations, right? Um, maybe we have to separate the operations and say, well, during the election, the operations of these um, companies are really so critical to the election that they can't be tweaked. See, this is really getting into statism, I guess, and fascism. I mean, how do we... That's like free, uh, interfering with the freedom of the press. But if it's freedom of the press, if these companies are presses, then they also have the responsibilities of the presses. They don't. Section 230. So we get into... I mean, if they were held liable, li liable for all the things that they published, they wouldn't hardly publish anything at all. So it's really such a nuanced, this is really a nuanced argument, and we're going to have to spend some more time on it. Um, you know, we've discovered some more lower-level ideas here. We're not going to be able to do it all today. But I think we're getting ready to listen to the next set of clips in the judicial hearing. I mean, hey, we could do it right now. I could press play. We could start listening to the Google guy. I mean, why not? Maybe we'll close this section out. I got another 15, 20 minutes. And I'll clip some Google guy, um, his introduction. How's that? Okay, well, let's do it. Let's do it. Swiss, Mr. Karan Bhatia from Google. Karan Bhatia currently heads Google's Global Public Policy and Government Relations Department. Before joining Google, he served as Deputy Undersecretary of Commerce for Industry and Security from 2001 to 2003, as Assistant Secretary of Transportation for Aviation and International Affairs from 2003 to 2005, as Deputy U.S. Trade Representative from 2005 to 2007, and as head of General Electric's Government Affairs Division from 2008 until 2018. He's a, he is a graduate of Princeton University and Columbia Law School. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Bhatia, and would you please stand and be sworn in. Would you raise your right hand. Do you swear or affirm that the testimony you are about to give before this committee will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Mr. Baccio, you may make your opening statement. 
Thank you, Senators. My name is Karan Bhatia. I lead the government affairs and public policy function at Google. Previously, as mentioned, I served in the George W. Bush administration. And earlier in my career, I spent time at the Heritage Foundation and the Claremont Institute. And in college, I was editor of our conservative publication, the Princeton Tory. I am a first-generation American. My parents imparted to me an abiding passion for the principles of free speech, democracy, and free markets. And this same passion makes me enormously gratified to work at Google, a company that embodies these values every day around the world. Google is a proudly American company growing across the US. We're investing more than $13 billion to expand our presence in 14 states this year, creating thousands of American jobs. We are also a global company and a big American exporter competing vigorously with competitors from around the world. Through our Grow with Google program, we are proud to work with thousands of small American businesses, enabling them to tap into the commercial opportunity of the internet. We are a company focused on the future as well, investing billions of dollars annually in R&D and innovating new products to help people live better lives. For example, by applying artificial intelligence to enable earlier detection of cancer or predict natural disaster. But above all, we are a company of more than 100,000 people with a wide range of views, nationalities, and backgrounds dedicated to the company's mission of organizing the world's information and making it universally accessible and useful. We live in an amazing time for the free flow of ideas. Never before in the history of mankind has it been possible for so many people to share so many ideas with so many others at so low a cost and through so many different avenues. Internet platforms have been transformative and powerful tools for the marketplace of ideas. Among the many beneficiaries of the internet have been political groups. From the Tea Party movement in the United States to the Arab Spring, the internet has enabled people to spread political messages and build political communities. Providing a platform for sharing a broad range of information is core to our mission. It is also core to our business model. Google needs to be useful for everyone, regardless of race, nationality, or political leanings. We have a strong business incentive to prevent anyone from interfering with the integrity of our products or the results we provide to our users. So let me be clear, Google is not politically biased. Indeed, we go to extraordinary lengths to build our products and enforce our policies in an analytically objective, apolitical way. Our platforms reflect the online world that exists. Our job, which we take very seriously, is to deliver to users the most relevant and authoritative information out there. And studies have shown that we do just that. Objective third-party studies, including most recently a comprehensive year-long assessment by The Economist of Google's results, have found no evidence of bias in either direction. Additionally, in May of this year, our data scientists analyzed daily click-through rates on search results to the official websites of members of Congress. The data showed no difference in these metrics, whether the member was a Republican or a Democrat. We also analyzed official YouTube channels for all senators who have them, and we consistently found a balance between Republicans and Democrats. Our platforms, such as Google Search or YouTube, deal with massive amounts of information. And to manage these volumes, we rely on algorithms and implement testing and evaluation by third-party raters. None of our systems are designed to filter out individuals or groups based on political viewpoints. Operating at the scale we do, we're bound to get criticism from both sides, and we do. From time to time, for example, political ads. So <clears throat> I'm going to stop them here and say they're not designed to filter based on political, right? Yes, they're not designed. That's not an attribute. Is the political leaning is not the attribute. But the attributes will be something different. Is it mainstream or not mainstream? Right? Is it um, marginal or not marginal? Is it <clears throat> um, you know conspiratorial or not conspiratorial? So we're going to have different attributes used for the uh, ranking and filtering and adjusting and weighting 
of these things and ultimately it'll be decided by a panel of Austinites, millennials sitting in their cubicles in their hundred square fair apartments um, for Google who are actually deciding your future after the algorithm does um, and uh, <clears throat> they could clearly say it's not political but the um, the inputs to the algorithm are biased already and the question of mainstream or establishment is also biased and it could be biased either way you know when it was um, George Bush saying weapons of mass destruction then it was biased in that direction and um, So we have different uh, biases, and now it's going to be, well, Joe Biden is the next president. That's biased in that direction. So it doesn't matter which way that bias is. It's the mainstream versus not mainstream bias, which will also become political. But they can clearly say that they're not political because that's not what they're measuring. Okay, people. That's it for today. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.